Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 4. So if you have Bibles, pull them out. Mark 4, 26 to 34. And Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs. And it puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus, we thank you. Um, We thank you for this gospel. We thank you for these words. We thank you that they... Tell us what you're like, what your kingdom is like. We thank you that they call us to something. Lord, we just acknowledge that we spend our life (laughs) every week um, trying to figure out what we're supposed to do, what is right, what's the right way to think about a thing, what's the right way to respond to a thing. There are so many pressing and urgent needs all around us, locally, globally, God, we thank you that the kingdom of God is what Jesus calls us into, and it is the answer to how to live in response to those things. So we just pray, God, right now for open hearts to perceive the mysteries that are locked up inside these parables so that our hearts can be open to you and that we can know how to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So parables, um, if you're new to the Bible You may not have ever even heard that word before, or if you've been around the Bible, you may say, oh, parables, those are stories, and and they are, but they're they're also, they're meant to be sort of like like mysterious, like visions into uh, a landscape that is otherwise uh, misty and foggy and hard to perceive. They're like slits of light that allow a little bit um, of a mystery to leak out, and if we're willing to sit and digest these things and really take our time with them, then what we'll discover is uh, is like food for the soul. What we tend to do with parables, though, is we tend to sort of treat them like math equations. So we figure out, like, well, this person equals that person, and this pe- person equals that person, and then we come up with some sort of a weird solution to, like, what God is like, and they actually can be just more confounding and confusing, which is exactly what most of Jesus's followers did with them. They just said, this is, this is strange. It doesn't make sense. Why is God a grumpy old man in this one, and he's a farmer in this one, and why is this guy asleep? And, and yet, for you and me, I think we're meant to sort of just sink like, into these a little bit, like, you know, and just let them work on us. Let them have their way on our souls. Someone once asked Flannery O'Connor, uh, what is the, just give me the message of this story in a sentence. And she said, you know, with perfect wit, if I could have told you the story in a sentence, I wouldn't have needed to write the story. Jesus, in giving parables, what he's doing is he's showing us that the most complicated things, the most beautiful things, the most robust and powerful things in this world cannot simply be broken down into sound bites and single sentences. They need 
They need to be filled out. Parables are this way of sort of filling out a large canvas about the most important things. And in this case, what is the kingdom of God like? These parables give us um, today, they're some of my favorites in in the Bible. They're just so earthy. They're evocative. They're agrarian. It's like Wendell Berry Sunday here at Emmanuel. It's just this like farm language. It's so great. I love it so much. And so we're going to move through these two seed parables, and we're going to see um, sort of what they tell us about God and what they tell us about what the kingdom of God is like. And those are two very, very important questions, and yet they're not questions that we tend to ask very much. We tend to ask more immediate questions or questions that feel like they're connected or related to circumstances or events going on in the world. And yet, and yet, uh, I believe the question, what God is like, is the single most important question in the world because if God is not just some accessory, some side piece, if God is not just something that we sort of can optionally carry along if we want to, in other words, if he's not the God of, of, of moralistic, therapeutic deism, which is the pervasive God of, of Western culture, this sort of like feel-good God made in my own image, take-or-leave accessory, but he's the actual God, which is what we believe here, that there's an actual God who's behind everything, who created you, who says he owns you because he made you in his image, and the breath you're breathing right now is his breath that he put in your lungs, and his call in your life is a call of of significance and weight because it's the God of the universe who says, I made you for this. If that God exists, which we believe he does, then what he is like is the single most important thing in the world, in the universe. And then what the kingdom of God is like this thing that he's calling us into, what it mean, basically when Jesus describes the kingdom, he's saying this is what it means to be a human being. Because if the God who made you in his image, who made you to be a, one of his creatures, now calls you into live in a certain way, he's saying this is how you do human. And much of the pain in my life is because I don't know how to human very well. I don't know how to love well. I don't know how to, I don't know how to treat people very well. I don't know what to do with my, my, my body. I don't know what to do with my money. I don't know what to do with my power. I don't know what to do with my life. And the kingdom of God says, this is what it means to be one of Jesus' people. This is what it means to be a human. Um, so we're going to look at it in three parts. We're going to see just, we got a three-part outline today. Good, you know, Baptist outline. One, that the kingdom is received. Second, that the kingdom is open. And third, that the kingdom is here or now and not yet. So first, the kingdom is received. Jesus tells a parable about a farmer who plants seeds and then goes to sleep. It's wonderful. It's a great story. Um, And he goes to sleep because he's done everything that needs to be done at that point. There's nothing left to do. He's, he's, He's put the seeds in the ground, and his job is essentially over at this point. Nothing more can be added. He has sown the seed. And he says he doesn't know how the growth happens, which I think is really true for us. I don't think we actually know how, gro- how things grow. And I don't mean like in the botanical sort of biological where you're like, oh, well, actually the cells and they multiply. No, I mean like I don't actually know how things really advance in my life. I don't actually know. Like I just know that sometimes I wake up and I look in the mirror like, oh, that thing has changed. Oh, I'm further along than I was. Or I look back at an old journal or I see an old video. I go like, oh, things have shifted. I don't actually understand how growth works. It's not a formula. We're always looking for quick fixes and ways around the process. They don't ever work. They work for like two weeks or 30 days or six months, and then we're back you know, where we started. Growth is mysterious. It just sort of happens. The earth produces of itself. All the farmer has done is put the seed into the ground, and then he lets God, he lets creation, he lets the world take care of the rest. And this, I think, is Jesus' word to you and me 
about the kingdom, that it's something that we receive. It's not something that we grow ourselves. We talk a lot about building the kingdom. And when we say build the kingdom, what we mean is that we want to be um, the expression of or the furtherance of the expression of God's presence on the earth. And that's a good thing, by the way. So we want to be people who preach the gospel about what God has accomplished for the world through Jesus and how that affects all of history and everything. We want to be people who take up the voice of marginalized people and, 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 and carry the plight of the poor and work for social justice. We want to be people who care about the earth and preserve the earth. We want to be people who care about our neighbors. We want to build the kingdom of God. But we're not actually building anything because we are not the ones laying the bricks. God hasn't asked us or called us to be the builders of the kingdom. He's asked us to simply be the, the expression of the kingdom on the earth. And whether or not the kingdom is being built is not in question. Like the eventuality of the kingdom as a full-on universal reality is not in question for Jesus. And so the story for the farmer, I think, comes to us as a word that some of us need to hear. Not all of us. But some of us need to go to sleep. Some of us need to take our hand off the wheel a little bit. Some of us need to stop trying to be God all day long. Some of us need to understand that there is a thing that God is doing, and he, he wants us to be a part of it, but doesn't need us to. That there's something certain about the eventuality of the kingdom, and so you and I are invited into rest. Jesus says in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock. He's talking to you and he says that. Isn't that great? That's what he thinks of you, little flock. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 4. I often will give it to people who I know are anxious and experiencing a lot of stress. Um, the end of it, Psalm, psalm 4, 8. For I will both lie down and sleep in peace. Why? Because you, O Lord, cause me to dwell in safety. There's just something about this. It's not like, hey, your life doesn't matter. You might as well go and live in a hammock your whole life. Go make some margaritas. It's like, no, your life does matter, but also at the same time, you're not holding the kingdom on your back. It's already growing. So what we get to be there for is just people in, in line with that. But the kingdom is received the second thing we see is that the kingdom is open. Jesus tells a story about a mustard seed. And our lectionary texts today were super helpful because we have Psalm 92, which is talking about, well, after all that stuff about doom on my enemies and may they be doomed forever and may they die. But there is like this, and the righteous will flourish, the righteous will grow, they will be like well-watered gardens, they will be succulent and green. And then we get to Ezekiel 17 that Ginny, Ginny uh, read, and it's this really cool text where there's like a where Ezekiel says, there was, a, there was an eagle with, with rich you know, feathers, and it took a sprig from the top of a cedar tree, and it planted it uh, in the east, and it grew a, uh, grew a tree around it, but that tree came toppling down. He's talking about Babylon, and then he does the same thing with another kingdom. He's talking about these birds coming and taking little twigs. I know this doesn't make sense, and planting them in the ground and growing trees out of them that become empires and kingdoms. But then Jenny's part came in, but I, the Lord, will do this. I will take a sprig from the tallest cedar on the highest mountain, and I will plant it, and I will bring low the high trees, that is the empires, and I will make high the low trees, and I will create a kingdom in which all the birds of the air, not, not, not the elite, not the supreme ones, not the Babylonians, not the Medes, not the Persians, not the Greeks, not the Romans, 
all the peoples of the earth will be able to nest in its branches. All the birds of the air will be welcome there. And Jesus takes the same language from Ezekiel 17 and says, this is what the kingdom is like. It's like the smallest of seeds, the low tree, goes into the ground and out of it grows a bush so large that all the birds of the air can nest in its branches. I didn't know this this week, but I learned, this is why you study, that um, if you are a bird watcher, you should go to Israel. Because that little piece of land, that 70 mile wide by 270 mile high piece of land is one of the major migratory paths for birds from Africa, Europe, and Asia. There are more than 400 species of birds that have been seen in just that little tiny piece of land. And so when Jesus is talking about all the birds of the air, he is essentially saying, not just my kind of birds, African birds will be there, Asian birds will be there, European birds, in other words, birds from the whole known earth at that point are welcome inside this thing. Jesus is radically open in this and saying something that would have shocked his listeners and did shock his listeners, but also should shock us too. And I know that we're like, we're, we're, we're contemporary-minded. We're modern-thinking people. We have progressive values around these things. We're like, no, equity and, and unity and so on. But we still are so parochial. We still have our own ways that we're locked in on ourselves. Don't think just because you're an open-minded person that that actually means that you're open-minded to people whose view of life you think is radically wrong and different. We tend to be very open-minded towards certain people and still kind of close-minded to others. And Jesus just says, very matter-of-fact, everyone makes it. Everyone's welcome. No one's excluded even people that voted for that guy. Everyone can come and nest in these branches. They all find a home in this tree. The third thing we see is that the kingdom is now and not yet. How do we see that? Well, the kingdom is now in this sense. It says at the end that Jesus would share what these parables meant to his followers later. In other words, there were certain people and this is still true, there were certain people for whom the kingdom of God was something that they could see and perceive and live into now. And then there was all the other people walking around in the cloud. Didn't understand what was going on, didn't understand the teaching. And this is still true today. It's not just try to sound like, you know, like elitist. It's just there are some people for whom the kingdom of God is a lived understanding and reality. It shapes their life. And then there are others for whom the, the eventuality of the kingdom is not a part of their, their working framework. It's not how they understand. The kingdom is here for those who have eyes to see it, or as Jesus would say, ears to hear. And it is also not yet because there are still many people who do not see it. Jeremiah 31 uh, has, is, is a great chapter in the Bible, uh, and you should read it. Next point. No, but Jeremiah 31 is, uh, it has this, all these promises about what God is going to do at the end of all things, the consummation of all things. And in 34, verse 34, it says, and no more shall one person say to their neighbor, know the Lord. Why? Because they shall all know me, he says, from the least to the greatest. Everyone will know the Lord. The glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas, as the prophets say. And this is the eventuality of the kingdom of God, the not yetness of the kingdom of God. Something that was really interesting uh, that came out in, in my study this week is that Jesus, in using this idea of a tree, is not only hearkening back to Ezekiel 17 and Daniel 4, uh, or even like, you know, to Genesis 1 and 2, the tree of life, but he's actually tapping into a mythology that is, uh, that is found in almost all ancient peoples, 
all ancient peoples had this idea of a tree, what was called like the world tree or the tree of life. This great, it was, it's, all, it's called the axis mundi. It's the spine of the world. It's the place in which earth and heaven connected. It's the integration point between this world and the world of the gods or of God or, or whatever. And this is something that is found all over the place, like all over the place in ancient peoples, peoples that weren't like, you know, eating together and then going home and coming up with their own story, but literally all continents, the Incans, the Mayans, the Aztecs, they had this belief that there was a great world tree that tied together heaven and earth, and the Milky Way galaxy was the foliage. So remember, you used to be able to see the galaxy. So when you look up, that was the, that was the foliage of the tree of life. The, North, the Norwegian people, Norse mythology has this, uh, had this, teach, had this whatever tradition of this great oak tree called the Yggdrasil. I, no, I just nailed that. And this tree connected the nine worlds of Norse mythology. And so there's all of this idea about this like tree, the centerpiece that sort of holds us all together. And Jesus, in, Exod, in, in quoting Ezekiel 17 and picking up this idea of a, of a, of a big tree where all the nations come together, is right in line with the contemporary thinking of not just Jewish people, but Chinese people and, and, and pre-Columbian North and South American people, like indigenous peoples all over the world in Africa had this idea. And Jesus is picking it up and saying, there is a tree that was going to come and is going to heal the nations. In fact, the Bible ends with this picture from Revelation 22. It's the last chapter in the Bible. It says, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river is the tree of life, the axis mundi, the world tree, with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. So Jesus is saying in the parable of the mustard seed, the tree, the eventual home for all things, is a real thing. It's the hope for the nations. It's the thing that all of us ache for. Our hearts are bent towards. Because what is true about the world we're living in right now? How do we know that the kingdom is not yet if this is the eventual home of all things, unity, harmony, nesting grounds for all of us. Well, it's because we are deeply divided. And if there was a word, I think, to describe the human condition, it would be division, which is not wrong. Because if you go to Genesis chapter 3, the beginning of the Bible, what is the very first thing that happens? And yeah, there's a snake and there's an apple or a pomegranate and someone eats something wrong. But what happens? Division immediately. Adam is throwing Eve under the bus, and she's throwing Adam under the bus, and they're separated from creation. They're turning on the serpent. They hide themselves from God. They're divided from God and from each other and from themselves and from creation. Immediately, division, division, division. And this is the rest of the story. This is what's, this is what's going on in our world right now. There are people that we have uh, differences with. Of course, that's true. Different races, different skin colors, different languages, different cultures, different sexual orientations. Differences, though, are not what make the world such a violent place. It's that we take our differences and use them as, re as, as reasons to hate one another, to kill one another, to threaten one another, to divide from one another. And Jesus is telling us in this parable, by leaning on this mythology, by leaning on Ezekiel, that there is going to come an eventual day in which the unity, the harmony, the togetherness, the peacemaking that our souls long for, that it will come like a tree planted on the earth that will in a moment integrate heaven and earth and we will become one. 
This is why nothing short of the presence of God, the integration of heaven and earth, is what we need. And Jesus is calling you and me in this parable to be something. He's calling you and me to be the seeds of this kingdom. We become small little micro versions of these mustard trees. We're meant to be these tiny little things that go into the ground that don't have a whole lot to offer. But because of the supernatural power of God, we grow into a place that is a home for the nations. We grow into a place that is a place of reconciliation and of peace. You and I should be, because of the streets we live on, because of the schools that our kids are in, because of the communities where we shop and work and play, we should be people that express and live out and bring together and harmonize and unify simply because that's the seed that's inside of, of us. Of course, there's one more thing about this story that I think is so compelling, this idea of this tree, and it's what's going to lead us to communion. But Jesus, as he is telling this story, as he has this idea of a tree that is going to heal and unite, certainly in his mind he would have been able to go ahead to another tree that wasn't far in the future for him. That Jesus Christ, as he hung on the tree, as he hung on a cross, he was in that moment the meeting place of heaven and earth. The cross is the place where Jesus was coronated as king. It is the place where the love of God is poured out and made manifest. It is also the place where we see all that is true about human nature, all that is true about sin and brokenness and wickedness. It's this integrating place between heaven and earth. It's the meeting grounds. And Jesus' cross is the tree in which, because he hung on it, now all the birds of all the nations can come and find a home there in which you are welcome to come and nest. You don't have to build the tree. The tree's already there. And out of this healing ground, as, as we just said uh, from Ezekiel 17, I make the dry tree flourishing. That's what, G, that's what God does with the cross. He takes a verdant tree and he makes it into nothing. And he takes a dry cross and he makes it into a tree out of which grows the healing for the nations. And so when we come to the table in a minute, what we're doing is we're taking like seed into ourselves of that tree. This is why we do communion every week. It is not because we want to be like reminded of something meaningful. It's not because we think it's a cool symbol. It's not simply because the church has always taken it every time it gathers. We do it because we believe it has real sacramental power to transfer to ourselves something that we cannot live without that we actually need nothing less than the gospel of Jesus, the one who hung on the dry tree so that we could be flourishing trees, to come into our heart and to make us into people who are sacrificial and giving and forgiving. And so when we come to the table in a minute, that's what we're doing. And I know that that sounds kind of weird, but just imagine with me that you're coming forward and saying essentially, I need, <laughs> I need the seeds of the kingdom in me. I, I, I have tried... I've tried to do a lot of things of my own strength. I'm not getting very far. I'm trying to love the people in my life, and I'm not doing it very well. I need something greater, deeper, truer to come and to enter into those places. This is uh, Jesus' prayer from John 17. It's like, what is Jesus praying for you right now? You wonder that? He is praying for you right now. It says that he ever lives to intercede for you. It's at the right hand of God right now praying for you pretty cool. It's a good person to have praying for you. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but I ask that you would protect them from the evil one. 
They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I ask also, not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that's you, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world will believe that you have sent me. And so may you and I, as disciples of Jesus, live into the radical hospitality that God has given us, that we would be a people in which all people can find a home, that we would be a family who never runs out of chairs around a table, that we would carry in us the seeds of that great tree that one day will heal everyone who eats of its fruit. Grace and peace to you. You are loved. See you next week. Thanks for being here. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.